0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com that's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. Something that I really enjoy about horror in general is the mythical monsters that go along with the entire genre. Things such as Dracula and the Sasquatch. And something that we were thinking with this episode is, what if those mythical monsters were a part of the modern society that we have now? And would that really change things? What happens when creatures of legend and monsters of modern mythology are pushed into the world we live in now? These mythical monsters will creep ever closer to our doors, our homes, don't bother to barricade the windows because they're already inside. First, work is hell, and then there are demons. Next, a classic creepy pasta of the zombie apocalypse around the corner. After that, a chupacabra fueled by vengeance. And finally, beware the Noken, the Norwegian shapeshifters of myth. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit Patreon.com/snarled. So, want to hear something scary? A demon in an elevator. What would you do to get ahead in your career? Would you blindly serve an omnipotent master in the structures in place? find out what demons lurk in corporate buildings in this high fashion tale inspired by Nikki. Day in and day out, Jess felt like she lived in the elevator. As an intern, she was always in and out of the office on coffee runs, collecting sample clothes for shoots, picking up dry cleaning, done with one thing, two more things would be added to her to-do list. But it was the usual high pressure, high turnover at the South African fashion house, especially now. It was Fashion Week. Preparations for this week-long, high-fashion, high-profile event had whipped everyone at work into a frenzy. thrived on every bit of it, standing out from the crowd of frazzled execs, yelling photographers, and fellow weeping interns. Just as calm in the face of adversity, quickly got her assigned to work with the art director, Zhai Wu, a cutthroat business person. Zhai Wu ruled her department with an iron fist, demolishing all competition in the fashion world. Known to have as high expectations for everyone as she did for herself, high tension would always surround her and those near her. Jess tried to spend every moment by her side, absorbing every bit of information she had to offer. Humming to herself as Jess stepped into the elevator one morning, there was a rattled looking woman wringing her hands inside. It was Allison, Zhai latest assistant. I'm going to get fired, Allison blurted out cynically. Everyone in this place are monsters. And she burst into tears. At that, the elevator suddenly lurched on the way down and came to a clunking halt. Allison started pounding on the emergency button. The elevator walls felt like they were collapsing in on her. Jess quickly came behind her, cradling Allison close as she worked herself up even more in her misery. Her wails echoed up the elevator shaft. Hours later, finally freed by the fire department, Allison was driven out in an ambulance, physically exhausted spent and shaking. Jess finished the day by Zhai Wu's side, humming softly as the work world around her raged on. The next day, in a rush to get back to Zhai Wu's office, Jess was stuck in the elevator again, but this time she was alone. What the, no, please, no, she said to no one in the empty box, starting to gasp for air. She leaned weakly against the wall, feeling drained, feeling less. Lurching forward, Jess shook the elevator bars like a cage. The walls felt so close, and thankfully, the buttons lit up. With a whoosh, it descended. Outside, again gasping, she stepped in close behind another stressed intern, perked back up, and jumped back into her errands. As the day neared its end, Jess headed to leave in the elevator designer samples in hand. Her footsteps dragged as she was once again alone in that elevator. As the doors closed, a hand shot out through the doors. It was Alison, pressing her hand against the closing door. She squeezed in and the doors closed behind her. Looking at Jess with a tight smile, she said, Zhai fired me. At that, the elevator rumbled to another dead stop, and the lights went out, trapping them once again, engulfing them in darkness. Allison laughed, sobbing, turned her phone light on and moved it around the steel box. I just want to get out of here. Allison growled and punched the elevator panel. Blood cracked through her knuckles. Jess's grip tightened on her shoulder as she laughed. I could tell you of real monsters, Allison, called Jumbie, that constantly move from place to place, latching onto the suffering of others. I love it here, you know. The people here, their suffering is so sweet. This place chews everyone up so I can eat them whole. Allison stared at Jess and Jess's demeanor melted away. Allison shuddered, tilting her phone as the light flashed across the Jumbie's face, formerly known as Jess. She dropped the phone as the Jumbie lunged for her. Crunching, muffled screams of agony within the small confines echoed through the elevator, up the elevator shaft, until there was quiet. With a ding, the elevators opened back up on the 13th floor. And Jess strode right over to Zhai Wu, glowing with a pep in her step. Zhai Wu was wondering out loud how she could possibly find a new assistant in the middle of fashion week, already posted the opening on a job board boss, and Jess smiled widely.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take.
1: What do we do when the end of the world knocks at our door? Do we open it or do we stay inside, hiding? Find out in this early creepypasta from Chris Stewart. It's been two weeks since this whole thing started. It all began with a tanker accident. It was all over the news. Everyone thought it was just another oil spill. There were plenty of volunteers, plenty of people wanted to help the poor, defenseless animals, plenty of victims. Within hours of the tanker accident, it started happening. The animals had gone crazy. They were scratching and biting the cleanup volunteers. They said that it was an adverse effect to whatever was in that tanker. Rescue workers were still trying to get the crew out of the ship they could hear screaming inside screams to open the doors but that's when it all went to hell as soon as they cut the door out there was 6 minutes of broadcast before it went silent 6 minutes of screaming and agony the ship crew attacked the rescue workers like rabid baboons breaking bones and tearing flesh the people on the shore weren't faring any better Those that had been attacked by animals were attacking everyone else. It was worse than any war zone report. It was sheer brutality. And yet the broadcast still went on for six minutes. Six minutes and then blank faces. Nobody could explain what was happening. They tried to continue with regular news, the economy, the weather, acute human interest story, but... They couldn't make us unsee what we saw. I tried to continue with my regular existence, but every time I switched on the news or walked by a newsstand, it was there. This big mystery. They had some explanations, some kind of infection, brain, parasites, but it didn't matter. It wasn't an infection we were afraid of. It was them. Four days after the initial report, A state of emergency was raised. And yet, we'd all seen this before. Every zombie movie ever. People didn't know who to trust. People were stockpiling food and weapons. Some tried to flee, but it seems every zombie movie was right. They didn't make it. Three days later, they arrived in my town. I expected moans, shuffling corpses, dismemberment, but that's where the movies lied. They ran through the streets, screaming. I remember running to my front door as fast as I could, locking, barricading, doing anything to make sure it would stay shut, and then I headed for the window. I was on the second story and I could see the carnage. They were unstoppable. They were aware. A group of them made their way through a building across the street. They jumped straight through plate glass windows. Even the shards slicing through them made no difference. They just kept coming. My barricade wasn't going to hold. I rushed around my flat, grabbing supplies and jamming them into the most secure room. I went back for one last look across the street, and I wish I hadn't. In a second-story window, my face met one of theirs. They knew where I was. I quickly dashed into the room and locked the door. I don't have any kind of panic room or a secure basement, so the safest place I could think of was my bathroom. No windows, one door with a lock. I had filled my sink and bathtub full of water so I could stay for a while. So I sat there in the dark room with the distant screams in my ears. I began to feel like I may have overreacted, It had been two hours and no sign of them. It actually got quieter and I thought they had moved on. Maybe I could leave the room, get to the kitchen, grab more food to wait it out. A crash came from the front door. The sound of someone running full force into the door and knocking down the barrier behind it. There were a couple more crashes before I knew they were inside. Rapid footsteps moving around the flat, A couple screams, and then a bang on the wall beside me. My eyes were open to their widest, even in the pitch black darkness of the room. Another bang, and another. They knew I was there, and they knew I was scared. This was the zombie nightmare I had been expecting from the start. I had nowhere to run. There was only so much time before they would break in. I sat with my back to the door hoping my extra weight would make it harder for them to get in. And then it got worse. Why don't you open the door? A voice on the opposite side of the door. No screams or moans, just a quiet, whispery voice. And then more of them. We've come for you. You'll be happier if you open the door. It's not so bad. The whispery voices became a cacophony of noise trying to persuade me, to break me, to fool me. I had heard that the moaning of zombies would drive people insane, but this was worse. A siren call. I sat in the darkness and hoped and prayed that they'd get bored. But they don't get bored and they don't leave. I managed to use the mirror to peek under the door, only to be greeted by horrible, unblinking eyes, blood smeared faces, screams, and more horrible whispers. That was two days ago. I don't know what to do anymore. Maybe it won't be so bad. This was a classic creepy pasta written by Chris Stewart. How about you let us know what some of your favorite creepy pastas are. Go ahead and email us at somethingscaryatsnarl.com. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wendt. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fires rage, pushing out people and creatures from their homes. The food chain disrupted brings out vengeance in a new form. And this story inspired by Judith. Ash from the fires gently drifted down as Karina walked Chucho, a terrier mix she rescued from the blaze that encircled their town. The fires had raged for days, burning down wilderness and homes, leaving charred belongings and homelessness in their wake. Everyone sheltered in the community center, hoped for rain, but instead lived a waking nightmare of smoke and another possible relocation due to suspicious secondary fires reported on in the news. Chucho stopped, his ears perked up, alert. They were near the edge of the community center that housed those who had fleed from their homes. With a low growl, Chucho bowed in front of Karina, protecting her from an emerging hunched figure from the wooded area around them. She lifted the flashlight ahead and illuminated a screeching creature. Knees were covered in blood and its legs badly burnt. Beneath a pronounced brow were crazed eyes fixed onto the light in her hand, exposing its fangs and clawed hands. It sprang toward Karina, who picked up Chucho and made a run for it. She shouted for her partner, Pedro, to open the door and it swung open, revealing to him, Karina, the dog, and this creature on their tail. As soon as they got inside, Pedro closed the door. Karina briefed quickly, what was that? Pedro looked out the window as that thing hobbled back into the woods. The chupacabra. He's real. Karina's mouth was agape. No, that's a myth, and it only eats goats and sheep. It looked like it was going to eat us. Chucho whined and "'burrowed his head into her arms. "'I know what I saw, and from now on, "'we pair up for perimeter checks at night,' Pedro said, "'and they walked back into the hall where everyone slept. "'The next day, while taking Chucho on his midday walk, "'Pedro spotted Harold, a truck driver "'who'd ended up stranded during the fires. "'He was rummaging through the donation bins. "'Pedro wrinkled his nose as he passed by him, Harold always smelled faintly of smoke and gasoline. Don't get too close to the fires, Pedro said, noticing that once again Chucho was pulling away from the man. He'd never quite taken to Harold. Animal control came and left, having verified that they couldn't find a wild creature. Things seemed to begin to resume a semblance of normalcy. And then Karina was the first to see it. The donation bins were on fire, Pedro rushed outside, Karina on his heels and Chucho not far behind. From behind the flames, the chupacabra emerged with a fury once more in its eyes. Chucho barked, and they noticed, but he wasn't barking at the creature, but a running figure to its left. The chupacabra stopped in its tracks, sniffing the air, its head swiveling and snapped toward the man hiding behind another bungalow, trailing a liquid from his feet. Harold, Pedro shouted, and the figure turned, revealing Harold as he fumbled his keys when he saw the chupacabra. The chupacabra sped towards Harold like a shark that senses blood in the water and attacked him. They fell into the bushes, lost. Screaming, Harold made a run for it and the chupacabra chased him back to the fiery bends. Harold was no match for the creature as it pounced on him. The gas can that he was carrying fell by his side upon impact and burst onto the ground into the flames. It caught in an explosion as Pedro and Karina watched in horror. Harold screamed as he was roasted and ripped open at the same time by the chupacabra as it took his revenge on the arsonist. What I really enjoy about this story, and thank you so much, Judith, for um, inspiring us for this, is that the chupacabra seems like a bad guy, but isn't. It's a very real deal to be forced out of your home by fire, and then especially if you're able to sniff out the person that's responsible for it. How far into the unknown would you reach to find answers about the past? Ancient history reaches back in this story inspired by Malin. The humid stench of sitting water filled my nostrils. Breathing it, I felt different. Above me was a glistening darkness swirling as I floated inside a pond's mouth of grime and rock. Something tickled my nose and I huffed it out like stringy mucus. As I pulled it from my nostrils, it felt fuzzy, wet, moss-like. It wouldn't stop growing out of me. I gagged as I pulled and it began to flourish and sprout from my ears. I could feel it in my mouth. I started to choke on it, unable to breathe as I heard the words, Noken always gets what he wants. By this promise, I wakened, shivering, wrapped in my sheets in a cold sweat. It was a nightmare. It was just a dream. My next thought, what's a Noken? I'd barely been able to adjust from the jet lag from my flight to Norway, and this nightmare sure didn't help. Are you okay, Ingrith? My brother Peter asked. Just... A nightmare, I shrugged, checking the time. Uh, I'm sorry. We have to wake up for our hike in the fjords in a couple hours. Peter was already back asleep. When the dawn reached over the mountains, Peter and I waited at a clearing for our tour guide. The greenery was incredible and the air was crisp. It felt so pure to breathe in, it almost hurt a little. Peter opened the map to make sure we were in the right spot to meet Valet, our guide. That's when I saw a white horse gallop past us and into the wild. It shone beneath the morning sun with a glisten over its mane. I felt compelled to follow but lost sight of it, and a figure emerged from the lush greenery surrounding us. Ingrith and Peter, the man asked. It was Villay. He welcomed us on our journey. The fjords are a magical place. They go deeper than our history here in Norway. Seeking your roots brings you here, no? Smiling into his clear blue eyes, I replied, Yes, we want to reconnect. Peter rolled his eyes. Yeah, we got a high percentage of Norwegian ancestry on one of those kits. We could be related to you. We are all of nature and are fated to go back to it, Valet said a little ominously as he took us on our journey. The higher the altitude, the more out of breath I would get. Reaching the point of delirium, I bent down and Valet helped me to a stream. On the water, I saw the reflection of the horse I saw before. Pouring water into my cup as I drank, it disappeared and Valet helped me up. Thank you. Did either of you just see a horse nearby? Peter was snapping some pictures. Nope, he shrugged. Could have been the Noken, Valet offered. The Noken, I repeated, remembering that that was the name that I had heard in my dream. I coughed into my hand and spit out a chunk of moss. It's claimed you, Valet said as we came upon a waterfall. The Noken, Peter said. In my guidebook, it's a horse, an omen of some kind. It's one of our ancient legends, Valet explained, and he walked into the water. Ancient legend, huh? Well, thank goodness it's 2020, I laughed, looking at Peter nervously. Valet was acting a little weird, and his actions were catching us a bit off guard. Noken always gets what he wants, and I froze at those words. Valet submerged himself in the water, Peter laughed uneasily. If he thinks we're following, he's got another. With a sudden force, Peter was pulled by a force into the water. There was heavy breathing behind me over my shoulder. Slowly, I walked closer to the water where Peter had just disappeared and saw Villet smiling up at me. But when I turned... I saw the white horse before me, its eyes bright as the sun. I yelled as it pushed me into the water. Peter, I called out as I battled the current, and when I opened my eyes, the horse was gone, and I was alone, floating toward the cascade. Engriff, Peter's voice called from behind the falls, and I swam towards it, lifting myself into this dank cave that was hidden behind its veil, searching for my brother. As I walked further along, the echoes of my brother's name reverberated back to me from the cave. And as I walked, my body began to feel heavier and heavier, like I was made of stone. All I could think of over and over again was the Noken, the legend of the Noken, the ancient legend, and the dream that I had. I couldn't find Peter and I felt like I couldn't leave. And all at once, I began to cough out water and algae. My nose started to spew moss. It was my nightmare in real life. It was happening right now. And a voice boomed.
0: Nokin always
1: gets what he wants. And black limbs reached down for me, this shapeshifter. It was Villet. It was the horse. It was the Noken. Just then. Peter jumped in front of me, tearing me from its grasp and throwing himself into its arms. Take me instead, he grabbed the slimy limbs and looked back at me as I blacked out. The Noken always gets what he wants. This week's podcast stories were edited by Marcia McCarty and Sabina Graves. Audio edited by Johnny Ashley and Fitz Harris.